Hi, y'all. We are back for another episode. And today I have two guests with me on the podcast. I have Dr. Maeva Clark and her son, Chris Clark, on the podcast. They are the co-founders of Kaysen, the collaborative advancement for social emotional needs. Dr. Maeva Clark also wrote the book, Help, Support for Parents of Children with Learning and Thinking Differences to Feel Confident, Capable, and Fulfilled. I'm so excited to be able for them to share today. I've asked them to touch on on two different areas. We're going to talk about the IEP experience. Chris is going to share about his personal experiences, what that was like navigating, and Maeva will talk about her experiences as a parent. And then I also want to make sure we touch on social media today. So this is something that the two of them feel extremely passionate in helping to educate children and their parents on how to navigate social media and how we need to be educating kids from a young age about internet safety and how to engage with social media. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodivergent affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast. And I developed the whole family approach. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well-being as a parent supporting your non-autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. So Maeva and Chris, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. We're excited to be here as well. Yes. So I'm going to have you guys each kick off and tell us a little bit more about yourself. So Maeva, you want to kick us off first? Sure. I am Dr. Maeva Clark. I am a wife, a mother, and I'm currently the program director for the Bachelor of Science in Respiratory Therapy program at the University of Cincinnati. I'm also a respiratory therapy clinician. I've been in the field for over 30 years. I don't work at the bedside anymore, but I am still a clinical instructor. I'm an author mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur, as you mentioned, with Kaysen, and just really excited to share. Yeah, you keep quite the busy schedule for <laughs> sure. And we won't go here because we could be here forever, but I can't imagine being trained as a respiratory therapist, having your knowledge, and then when we went through COVID, what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. What you can comment briefly. It was definitely challenging. I left, I was at CHOP for almost 26 years and I actually left in the fall of 2019. Whoa. So although I wasn't at the best, I, I was still a clinical instructor during COVID. So it was really challenging navigating that space with students. And then we eventually had to pull our students because of the shutdown and everything. And it was very challenging. It was sad to see so many lives lost. And But I tell you one thing, people 
in the hospital learned how to be resourceful and really came together as a team. I was going to say, I almost think in some ways that all your advocacy work with Chris probably prepared you to be able to advocate for these students, to get resourceful. It really, in some ways, goes hand in hand because I know a little bit about your story and, you know, what it was like navigating the IEP system and the educational system um, when Chris was growing up. I agree with you. It's funny that you mentioned that I'm a very strong advocate for my students, even though they're in college. And I am extremely empathetic towards my students. And when I see them struggling and having issues with tests, I will ask them if they had any challenges or did they have an IEP in school? And I'll take them personally to the counselors so they can get things rolling. Or even when they have challenges navigating life and balance in life. I'm a very strong advocate in getting them therapy and to the counseling office because I feel like once they bring it to my attention, I need to pass it on so they can get appropriate help that they need. That's incredible. And they're so fortunate to have you. And I think for parents listening to this podcast to understand that there are still people advocating for your kids, even when they've gone to college and they're out of the structure of our educational system. So Chris, yeah, absolutely. Chris, give us a little bit of an introduction. And also, if you don't mind telling the listeners how old you are as well, so it gives some context to our conversation. All right. Hi, I'm Chris, 25, about to be 26 in about a month. (laughs) I'm author, like my mom said, and also I work in the wild world of retail. And I'm trying to think of those. And I'm the president slash co-founder of Kaysen. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And you really were the inspiration behind Kaysen is what I've heard of some of your experiences and trying to help the current and future generations. And a quick story about how that got, how Kaysen got started. It was all through a conversation I had with my dad during my freshman year of college. And he said, then what do you wish you had that could have kids today and and the purpose of that then was to to go back and help those kids out that are where i was but now at 25 is is to give back like show help guide them like my dad and his buddies guided me as i was coming up and that's that was the main purpose and then i wanted to tell my mom about the idea and she, she was almost on board immediately and i think the reason why i went to her because because she knows the story but also she's an educator and that's everything and just she's the first person i thought of when it came down to asking that's amazing and i love that you guys are doing this together a mother-son duo really trying to help other families so in large part so that they aren't having the same experiences that y'all had having Chris go through the educational system and really strongly having to advocate. So Maeva, tell us a little bit about that of at what age did this advocacy have to start for him? Chris has two first cousins, one that's three months older than him and one that's six weeks older than him. 
So when he was a toddler, we noticed that some of his skills weren't on the same level. So Chris Sr. and I, we questioned whether um, there was a delay or anything because we were around other children. Everyone told us, no, everything was fine. Everybody uh, progresses at their own speed. So we listened to that for a while. But as his speech became delayed, he wasn't, he didn't have expressive language. We knew he was taking it all in because we could see his eyes and he would follow commands, but he wasn't able to express himself. So we took it upon ourselves to have him tested. We reached out to the pediatrician who then told us about the intermediate unit. And so it really started right away. And then when he did get early intervention, when he was in preschool, and we knew that he still needed services. So when we were looking into kindergarten, we met with the the team and started the IEP at that point. So Chris Sr. and I were advocates from the very beginning. But when things had to escalate for us as parents was when the school district tried to tell us how things were going to go instead of work with us. And they weren't seeing what we saw in our son. They were telling us how kids are and we were trying to tell them how our son was. And that was a little challenging. And one of the pieces of advice I have for all parents listening is although educators are the experts overall, because we are educated, we went to school and we learned the rules, you are the expert on your child, on your children, and you have a voice, you matter, and they need to listen to what you have to say. And it doesn't matter. You matter and your voice counts and you have to talk until you're heard. The one piece of advice I have with that though, is you come with respect and you come not in an argumentative way. You can be firm and respectful and still get your point across because if you're not, you give them an excuse to dismiss what you're saying. And I never, Chris Sr. and I never gave them an excuse to to write us off. And because of the way we presented ourselves, they always listened whether they wanted to or not. And we came to a mutual understanding and agreement. And Maeva, I'm curious, what sort of like classifications or diagnoses were you hearing about as Chris aged? We really, it's funny. We had them seen by, first of all, I want to tell your listeners, that there's a difference between a pediatrician and a developmental pediatrician. Yeah, we actually have a whole episode on this. So Okay, okay, good, good. (laughs) So our pediatrician, she was wonderful. And I felt not only was she Chris's advocate, she was our advocate. And I don't think that's the norm for most parents when they go to a pediatrician. But she was extremely supportive of us, of us and our rights as parents. So she encouraged us to go see a developmental pediatrician. And when we went to see him, he told us that Chris at the time didn't have a, a true diagnosis. He was just delayed 
developmentally. Whether Chris, had, whether he lines up with a disability or not, none was ever identified. Okay. It was just that he was delayed and the, the um, he just learned differently. Okay. So I'm curious on the IEP side then, probably he was under a developmental delay yes. classification and then did it move to a learning disability, like a learning disability classification? Because usually in the state of Pennsylvania, which I know you guys are, right. I think it mm-hmm. caps out at, I think it's either six or eight. I think it might be eight, the developmental delay classification. Well, he, he, it was, he moved into learning disabilities. Okay. But we don't have a specific diagnosis. That makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's helpful for parents to understand. We talk about that on the podcast too, that your child's educational classification isn't necessarily the same as a disability that's diagnosed clinically. And this is One of the reasons working with parents of autistic kids that I do advocate being evaluated by both systems, meaning educational and clinical, because they're looking at it in a different way. Chris, moving to you, I'm curious, first off, to hear a little bit about when do you feel like you first noticed that you learned differently than your peers? I I want to say the first time that I noticed that from me, I might have been a I might have been in fourth grade, and I I noticed while I would be fourth or third, I I noticed I would be struggling to read like the sentences on the board, and everyone else would be miles ahead of me. And it was like it was one day during class that I that was when I was like scared something might I didn't know what it was at the time, but I just like I'm not like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the. Or something that I can think of. I, I just thought of another when I noticed that I was being moved changed when I was hitting the classes a lot that's when I realized that was like another realm of yeah I'm different. Chris and I just had this conversation so I think it might be important for your um listeners. Chris, what did you tell me you wish your father and I had done for you when you were uh in school? Okay. Um instead of it was, I appreciate that you guys told me that I was changing classes instead of hearing it from the school, but I wish you would have sat me down and was like, explain why I was moving instead of just saying, hey, you're changing classes, and I wish we would have had a more real conversation. You're being moved because of this, or because I've, like, I was always prepared, like, even when I was in a stable situation, a good bit. I always was like in the back of my mind. At some point, I'm being moved, and I'm the new kid in the class. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, like I was for a while. I was always ready and expecting it. I would like to add something that he told me about it. Chris said that I think when I reflect back on that time, I think. Chris Sr. and I were being protective of him mm-hmm. a little bit, and we didn't want to make it a big deal about him moving classes. So when Chris said he wished we would have told him more, I think we probably glossed over it, not knowing that it impacted him or 
he said the other day that he thought he did something wrong. Mm -hmm. He didn't understand why he was switching the classes. And if I had, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I wanted parents to hear how we handled it and how Chris at 25 articulated receiving it and how they may choose to do it differently yeah. um, and have the, a more in-depth conversation. And that, to add to that, and the reason why I thought I did something wrong, because at that point, I assumed people, I saw only the bad kids swapping classes, so I just thought I was one of those bad kids that mm. had to be moved because of X, Y, Z reason. I was like, yeah. Yeah. It's really funny, Maeva, you brought up this whole conversation because that's exactly what I was going to get curious about is you're recognizing you're different. What did you understand about it? And I think Chris is 25 now. So that was over like that was a while ago. That was a what, two decades ago, a little bit less by the time he started to realize that he was different. And I do think the climate and the context of how we talked about differences were very different back then. But I love that you're willing to be open and vulnerable of looking back and being like, yeah, I do wish we could have done it differently and helping parents to recognize now. And as a clinical professional, I say the same thing of your kid likely understands that they're different. Help them understand why they're different and how to navigate this. And I really believe it folds under this umbrella of neurodiversity and building acceptance around it as well. On that note, I would like to really allow you and your listeners to understand my position now. I am a parent support person. I am an advocate for parents and I am very transparent. I want everyone to know what I did well and I want everyone to know where I think I missed the mark because I truly want to support parents to be their best for their children. What they choose to do may not be what I chose to do, but at least if they heard my story, if they heard Chris's story, they can make a more informed decision in the moment for themselves and their children. Absolutely. I love that. And this is actually leading me to a conversation before we hit record talking about these different basically tracks that existed at the time when Chris had an IEP and he wasn't fitting in any one of these tracks. And Maeva, then how you really advocated for, we have to tailor this to what my son needs and how that paved the path now in your school district to really allow other kids to have these tailored plans. So let's start off, Maeva, with you first. Talk a little bit about what these tailored paths were and what some of your advocacy work looked like. Okay. So when Chris started kindergarten in our school district, we had the traditional regular education. We had resource room where kids can get pulled out for certain classes. And then we had the special education classroom. But Chris was such a unique being that he didn't fit anything all the time. He didn't fit any of the tracks. And they were going to force him to be in special education 
because he needed some help. But he didn't need help in everything. He only need help in some things. Mm -hmm. And so our position was give him what he needs, not more than he needs. And I'll give you an example. When he went from kindergarten to first grade, because he was in the, we were evaluating for this, this program. And when he went from kindergarten to first grade, the teacher told me, oh, we're going to have him sorting. And I said, but he's adding and subtracting at home. She mm -hmm. said, we're going to have him sorting. I said, no, he's adding and subtracting at home. I want him to add and subtract. And she was in very forceful about it. This is what we're going to do. And I, what I said to her was, I said, no, you're going to raise the bar and he's going to jump. And if he doesn't hit the bar every time, we're okay with that. But he's going to try. And when he has some successes, we're going to celebrate that, but we're not going to lower the bar for him to hit it every time. And that took some navigating and that was our position. And that's how we navigated for him. And then, as I told you before the, the recording, I ran into a parent who had a child that was a couple grades behind Chris. And I was telling them, yeah, Chris is in college and you know what he's doing. He said, yeah, I know. Everyone knows about Chris. <laughs> Chris has become the poster child of the school. And one of the things that he said that lit my heart was he said, because of us, they now have that mod. They do not force anyone in a particular model. And they allowed a kid to go where and fit in where they belong. So mm -hmm. that was hard work for us, but we paved the way for other parents. So beautiful. And actually, Maeva, you remind me so much of my mom because so with my brother, we're 10 years apart, that this was his therapist kept being like, we're just going to have him match card by card. My mom's give him the whole deck. And they were like, no, we can't do that. And I think both examples. So you saying the story took me back to my mom telling that story. And I think that's the power of parental advocacy. And it's the perfect example of what we call presuming competence, where we know that there's more in there and we're allowing the individual, the child, the ability to show that. But when we put these like caps on, they don't get the opportunity to show that when we hold them to some set standard. And so I, I absolutely love that so much. So Chris, I'd love to hear from you what that experience was like. Yeah, it was like, especially as I got older into like high school, it was definitely like, I felt like I was managing multiple lives because at that point by high school, I was a student athlete and I was in all these different classes. And when I would run into teammates in, in the hallway, I would they'll be like, where are you going? I'm like, I would lie and say I'm going to just another class. Like I would like, and I I realized as I got older, it was like it wasn't the I right way. And I wish I was upfront and like when I was going to, I would only tell them when I was going to the regular classes, whatever. I wouldn't tell them. The other, my other classes, and when I would go on, because we worked at 
by my senior year, we worked out in the meeting that I could go on almost all the all the trips and when we'd have break trips, like the the teacher would be like, Chris, it's time to go out in my in one day I was about to walk out in the class and they asked me, Where are you going? I'm like I didn't I was like, Don't don't worry about it and I wish I had a much different response. I remember. So I actually initially met Maeva through networking and all of that. And then we, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, we're all in Nashville together mm-hmm. for this incredible event. And Chris, I remember sitting at lunch with you and you shared with me something you wish kids nowadays knew, or like maybe what you would have done a little bit differently back then if you had the information you have now. What could, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-informed neurodivergent affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps. I wish I would have been honest sooner about where I was going and honest about what class I was taking because when I was coming up, I used to just hide it or outright denied at times and I just wish I was like open from the gate and was able to be like yeah I'm going to this class and be able to have that conversation with my classmates instead of by the time when I was coming up it was like a little bit taboo to when you were the mission that you were in some of these classes and I wish I had the ability to like no I'm in this class and I'm going on this trip because because of the reasons, and I wish I like would have been honest about my history a lot sooner than waiting until I was 25 to to be honest about it. Yeah, this generation don't hide it. Yeah, accept who you are, and be able to have the conversation with parents and have that conversation elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's easy to look back and be like, I wish this was different. Again, we lived in such a different culture. And I can talk about this with my brother who was diagnosed with autism. Our family didn't talk about it a lot because it almost did feel taboo versus the conversations are different now about autism or any neurodiversity, broadly speaking, or learning differences, things like that. Maeva, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think it's important to share. That's why we're in this space now. And that's why I'm doing it with Chris. I think it the impact is more powerful to hear both sides of the story mm-hmm. and everything that, cause we're getting ready to start a newsletter in our own podcast where we're basically the dynamic duel the mother and son team. And I think it's important not to hear my, just my perspective, but to hear Chris's perspective and 
to have him talk to children who are in that space so he can relate to them as what he did then and what reflecting back what he would tell his younger self and what he would tell them. Absolutely. And there's really been a push in within the autism field to be listening to autistic individuals about their lived experience. And while Chris isn't autistic, we still can learn that same amount of information. And so I talk about that with parents all the time. It's one of the reasons too, that I'm trying to bring more neurodivergent individuals on the podcast to be able to speak about their experience. But I I think it's really powerful because no one can quite talk about it like the person with the lived experience. And we can learn so, so much from that. And I think because children on the autism spectrum is such a wide range and variety Just like we said about Chris, there is no one right way Mm -hmm. because everyone's different. They all have different abilities. And um, that's what we focus on is helping children appreciate their strengths and abilities as opposed to comparing their strengths to their weaknesses to the strengths of others and their what they can't do, what others can do. They, no, no, no. We need to focus on our abilities and strengths as individuals, especially the children, because as adults, we have life to help us navigate that space a little bit. But children who have not yet had those experiences to compare things to, they need to learn from the beginning to appreciate their strengths and abilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is a perfect pivot. I'd love to talk a little bit about the work that you guys do together to help kids and parents learn about social media. And I know you bring in this same strengths framework into that. Chris, tell us where this idea got inspired by, because I know you you were a big part of this. Yeah, it got, I think it got, definitely got inspired by because when I was coming up on social media, I was just taking my feet in, but I was lucky enough to have my dad and his friend support as I was coming up. And that's the basis of what Kaysen is about. It's like a proper thank you to them, but also my way of giving back and helping out this generation instead of going through what my generation and others like me went through. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more then about the mission, Maeva, and how it's structured. Okay. So as Chris mentioned, he struggled on social media. He dealt with some anxiety and depression at times because of the mean things people said and did on social media. And he was blessed and fortunate to have his father and his father's friends. Yes, I was on there with them, but my husband and his friends pretty much did the what we call policing of his site. And they helped him when he was inappropriate. And what, what I mean by inappropriate is he would befriend people that he had no business befriending, like adults. And so they had some racy posts and comments and things. So he would exposed to things he shouldn't have in terms of content 
And so during the 2016 elections, Mm -hmm. Chris was expressing a lot of political views and he was bullied during that time by adults and called some really inappropriate, hurtful things to him. My husband really showed him how to block people, to take down comments and things like that to help him in that space. And so that was important. And when Chris came to me with the idea, he said, mom, I want to help kids become appropriate on social media. Like my dad and his friends were able to help me because everyone might not have that village that I had growing up. And that's really how it started. And he asked me if I would help him build the app that will help kids be safe. And immediately I said, yes, had no idea what I was doing. Had no idea. I don't have a computer background. I don't have a tech background or anything. But out of the love for my child and the fact that he wanted to do something positive to help other children, I said yes. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I prayed about it. And I went to Mr. Google and (laughs) found out where the gap was with education. And I discovered that social emotional learning, there was a big gap uh, in education there. So I went to Chris and I said, what do you think about us mixing this social media piece with social emotional learning? And that's really how it came about. And he, he liked the idea and we created an app that would help kids be appropriate on social media, a guided invitation only app. And then after creating it on a third party, I realized I was limited and it didn't allow me to do some of the things that we thought needed to be Mm -hmm. done. So we hired app and web developers to help us with the space. And we also hired consultants. We had a consultant company with a physical therapist and occupational therapist in it. And they really helped us hone in on our content and how to present this. So when we say case and collaborative advancement for social and emotional needs, it really is a collaborative experience. And then after we developed our lessons with them, we then sent them to a social emotional learning expert who then vetted it and put this social emotional learning component in it. And then we sent it to a general education teacher who then put a spin. We really wanted to make sure that this view that we're trying to teach these children with soft skills and how to move forward socially, especially in this population, although all kids can benefit from this, we focus on kids with learning differences and disabilities. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so awesome. And I love Yeah, how collaborative it has been to really make sure you're hitting the mark of what should we be teaching and all of that is really cool. So Chris, I'm curious, could you give us a couple of examples of things that you guys are teaching parents and their kids in terms of social media, like social media safety? What are some examples of that? We're teaching social media readiness just getting them prepared and we're also teaching them bullying it and what to post and what what's not 
when not to post. Okay. That makes sense. Any like for a parent listening to this podcast right now, so they get Mm. a little bit of a sneak peek, what would be like some examples, like more specifically of the things that you teach them, like something to do or to not do? So we have four courses. We have social emotional development, bullying identification, mental health development, and uh, social media readiness. So some of the specific things that we're teaching, for example, in our social emotional development course, as we said, we're really teaching kids about being different and how everyone is different. We all have different strengths. We all look different. We have different hobbies, different careers, and different isn't bad or good. Different is different and different is awesome. And with that and teaching them the soft skills and things that they need for self-awareness, we then take it to social media in a sense. We show them in one of our lessons how everything they need in person, they need on social media when they're doing gaming. We teach them that they should only do gaming uh, events and spend time on gaming with people they know in real life in person and reason why, and then teach them how they can hurt someone's feelings or they can be hurt in that space by comments and things. So really teaching them like that. We teach them how, and when they're doing, if they're on Snapchat, for example, kids are on Snapchat for when they're in that space, don't do social comparison because it could be detrimental to their mental health. Mm -hmm. And then teach them how when they're on social media to to maybe do it in chunks of time and step away. Don't replace that with real life time and interactions with people, with their family. And we really go into how if they spend all that time, we showed them that the harm that it has caused other children and things. So try to keep teach them to appreciate, respect their family time a little more. So those are a couple real life examples. And then for parents, we go into showing, sharing some of the apps and things that they can use for monitoring their children's accounts. And as well as setting up privacy settings, there are a slew of things parents can do that the average parent may not be aware of. Okay. Would you mind sharing maybe just one or two of those apps for someone listening? What kind of apps are you recommending that parents download to monitor their kids' social media activity? And I'm actually drawing a blank on on this biggest one where what, what it does is it notifies the parent if the child makes a post or something that is a red flag. And it won't tell the parent everything because they don't want to oversaturate and have the parent turn it, like get numb to it. But they will feed and so the parent can go and have a conversation with that child. Hey, how's it going today? Or what do you think about this? So it, it it's like a backdoor kind of monitoring system but then there are there are different things that parents can do to block they could set up parental controls where they block a certain access to certain websites period so even if the child did a google search those websites wouldn't be 
allowed to populate on their phone. Okay. Wow. Okay. So what we'll do you to the listeners head to the show notes, we'll link some information about those because I think knowing about those are incredibly important. And I think it's really cool to think about how it started for Chris, your dad and his friends doing this almost in a manual way to know how much technology has been able to really progress to be able to help support this. And I do think that's really important. It's really interesting, too, because I'll hear parents say to me, like, I just shouldn't allow my kid on social media. And there is evidence that kids will a lot of times go sneak it at that point. So it's better to teach safe practices and monitor their use because eventually it's going to come into their world. 100%. And that's why we say that we're the precursor to regular social media. It's not going anywhere. Mm-mm. It's not going away. If you don't allow your kids to be on it and learn the right way, they're going to learn potentially the wrong way through their peers right. and they're going to sneak and and it's not going to be a healthy. So we figure if you can't beat them, join them, just help them to navigate it in a safe, appropriate way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we're going to do, we'll link the information about Kaysen. I encourage parents, go check it out. Go learn. I think learn more about their courses because I think this could be a great opportunity. Additionally, Maeva's book helps support for parents of children with learning and thinking differences to feel confident, capable, and fulfilled. We'll link that as well. So you can go grab that off of Amazon. But before we wrap up, Chris, anything on your end that you want to make sure the listeners hear or that you wanted to be able to share today, but you haven't had an opportunity? Yeah, that this sort of advocacy and just helping this generation is so important to me. And it also, from, from when I was coming up, boss to, like I said before, I'm often we're both part of the same collaborative book, and it was so, it was such an honor to be the last chapter and be able to tell my story of my struggles of depression, anxiety, grief, and just it was felt good to finally let like stuff from the past just go and be able to hopefully help somebody. Absolutely. Remind me the name of that book. I know it's from the mastermind you guys did, which is how we connected. But what was the name of that book specifically too? Living All Out. And my chapter is called Beat the Odds and Let the Odds Beat You. I love it so much. We'll link that one as well. Maeva, anything else before we wrap up today that you wanted to be able to share? Yes. Every course we have for children, we also have for the parents. Mm. We feel as though if parents were supported and knew the right information, they would have they will be equipped with more tools to help their children be safe. So every course that we offer children, we also offer the parents for that. And they can actually take courses at the same time, just in two different groups. We also have Case and Connect, which is linked with the information on our website, which is what we use as a precursor to regular social media. We help parents of children with learning differences to find inner peace and confidence by helping them make their children safe on social media. 
And in that program, it, it, we teach bullying identification where they get information every day on bullying. And the next day, that particular information from the previous day is removed with a question to see if they really understood what they had. And it's scaffolding. That question of the day starts out with a fill in the blank for a week. The next week is filling two blanks. The third week is filling a phrase. The fourth week is complete the sentence. And the fifth week is they have to answer with structuring their own sentence. The purpose of that is to twofold, to teach about bullying, but to use scaffolding with social media so they learn how to communicate appropriately with an adult Mm -hmm. as well as with peers on social media. So it's by invitation only to prevent predators from getting in there and getting access to the children. And then once the children complete those five levels, they'll get a certificate of completion and the parents can opt in to a a monthly subscription as to whether they want their children to have the ability to communicate in a safe, protected space online. Oh, I love that. That's really cool that you guys have developed an app where it allows them to be able to practice these skills. And I think you hit the nail on the head to that educating on both sides, because I think that speaks so much just to wrap this up and summarize to the both of your lived experience. It took both parties collaborating together for Chris to progress through school, having that parent-child relationship to really help Chris progressed through school, but then that's become the mission and the center of your business as well. I just want to add two things. One, my husband refuses to, he <laughs> loves being in the background. He refuses mm. to come up front with us. But Shout out to Chris Sr. <laughs> yes, he yeah, is absolutely a part of this, a huge <laughs> part of this. The other thing that I think your listeners would love to know is as we built this from the very inception, it's built with two different placeholders. We want to create an app for autistic kids because we feel like kids with autism, we feel like everyone needs a safe place to practice. Absolutely. And the only thing about that one is, we need to be picked up so someone can help us with the funding to as we move forward. <laughs> That's you know, fair. That is yeah. what we want to do. We already have a, a placeholder for that because, and when I say children with autism, I want even the nonverbal kids to be able to have a safe place to to communicate, whether it's with pictures or whatever. And I would definitely need someone to help with that because that's out of my lane. That's so beautiful. I think that's a perfect example, like knowing what the potential is and presuming competence again and giving kids ways to connect and to communicate and all of that, I just think is so beautiful. And I hope for parents listening to this episode too, that you're inspired by Chris and his story as well, that I know as a parent of an autistic child, sometimes you can worry about what the future can look like. And Maeva, I'm sure you experienced that as a mother as well. And she's nodding right now for those you guys can't see video. But I think 
Chris, your story is just so incredible and how you've brought it full circle now to be able to help other kids like like you are. And I think that's really special. So Chris, Maeva, thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Dr. Tay, we appreciate um, this opportunity to be for trusting us with your audience. Absolutely. Thank you both. All right, y'all. That is a wrap for today's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. I will see you back here next time. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects one in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here. And I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye y'all.